when you are aligning energetically, that's when opportunity lands. That's when you feel more inspired. That's when you jump out of bed in the morning. And it's like, I just got this new lease on life through that one moment. And then they kept coming and coming and building from there where I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't have to feel like a slog. It doesn't have to feel hard. And and don't get me wrong. You have your moments, you have your clients, you have your days, but that first like surge of, I guess it was inspired energy Mm. was like, oh, I like this. I want my life to feel like this. gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Holly as a party was living life she thought she was supposed to live. After what she describes as a turbulent childhood, she aced school and dived headfirst into the corporate world. But a few years in, her physical and mental health was suffering. Big time. She became so unwell, she needed to take a short nap every afternoon at work just to get through the day. What happened next can only be described as serendipity. Made redundant from her job, she decided to try her hand at wellness coaching to help others live in alignment. Before long, she transitioned into intuitive readings and had a wait list of women desperate to work with her. Cut to now when Holly is a successful writer, podcast host, public speaker, model and a positive body image advocate. Her days are spent helping women evolve into the very best versions of themselves. Holly shares some incredible insight in this feel-good chat that will leave you feeling empowered, inspired and confident to charge ahead with a life on your own terms. Here's Holly. Holly, welcome to the Lemonade Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel like we're old friends already. It's so great. I know. Well, this is the really creepy thing. Like we kind of are friends. You just don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gosh, this is really starting the interview on an awkward awkward, (laughs) awkward footing. Um, Back when I was 20, I went up and did work experience for a week at Clio Magazine and I, for some reason, I saw all the other um, interns that were there and I remember seeing your name and I didn't know who you were and it just stuck in my head. And then years later, I saw your name on Instagram or something and I was like, that girl's name is so familiar. And anyway, cut to now, 2020. (laughs) And you're on my podcast and I'm telling you that I've known you for a long time. (laughs) Oh my God. Like we could have had days together at Clear Mag. We could have, we could have gone for lunch. We could have done so many things. We found each other again. (laughs) I'm so glad it was as memorable for you as it was for me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I totally, I remember that day so clearly when you walked into the office, I remember it. And you're like, she's a really good work experience worker. She's so good. (laughs) We had some really wonderful ones and some really hopeless ones. And I just, I know that you would have been one of the wonderful ones. Thank you so much. It's it's like I fed you that line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I'm glad. So we already know each other. So um, that's great for this body. So we're going to have already have the amazing rapport and banter. Um, How are you doing in Sydney? How are you doing in 2020? How are you doing in life generally? It's such a loaded question, isn't it? It's like, so 2020 for you, how's that been? Um, Look, it's been, it's been no different to anybody else's. I guess for me, I was just um, sitting with how grateful I am for, having, uh, being in a position where I've been running my business for coming on to five years now. So mm-hmm. being able to work online um, where lots of people have had to quickly adjust and make drastic changes, it hasn't changed too much for me. And so for that, but I'm so, so, so damn grateful. Um, and I guess 2020 has been this big learning curve for me in really perspective and 
and taking stock on the things that really matter, like Mm. in day to day, what really matters to me. And they're the most simple things. And it sounds so cliche, but it's like getting outside and in the sunshine when I can. And I remember when we were full on uh, lockdown here in Sydney at the beginning of the year. And when I would go and do my walk on Manly Beach, they had taped up all of the benches so you couldn't sit down. And I remember looking at the benches going, oh my God, just, just being able to sit, like little things like that that have been taken for granted where now I'm like, I will sit and I will sit on that bench and I'll enjoy that moment and I'll, I'll go slow, like I'll go slowly. <laughs> it feels like a real celebration of slow. Um, that's, that's been a big lesson for me in 2020. Oh, what a beautiful scene, the celebration of slow. I love that. I've kind of been trying to practice in this, I'm in Melbourne in this second lockdown is the idea of creating space just everywhere, trying to just find space within myself. And I feel like that's very similar to like celebrating slow. It's kind of just like going within. Absolutely. The introspection piece. So space and slow go hand in hand. And I think a lot of the time we run from it with the busy and the doing and the go, go, going, and and that's often celebrated. Um, You know, oh, I'm so, I've got so much on and all of these things we can fall into the trap of, well, what are you running from? And what are you putting outside of self that if you were actually to sit with self and slow and have space and just feel into what's going on with me, what's my energy doing? Where are my emotions at right now? Like that can feel uncomfortable. And so we run from it. And I do think 2020 at a micro level has, has forced a lot of us to do that introspection piece, which can be really daunting for people, mm. um, but it's so incredibly rewarding. And exposing that, I've noticed with a lot of people around me, I'm not sure if you have as well, that addiction we all have to doing, that if we're not doing, we're not achieving uh-huh. and therefore we're not worthy and therefore what's the point of us, I guess. Like it's exposing that in so many people, me included. Yeah. Well, myself included too. It's like this spiral. And the last three years I've been undoing the thought patterns that I have around um, being worthy when doing. So I've been working with this affirmation for years now. I am worthy when I'm not doing. Mm. And it's literally this recalibration of your energetic blueprint, which is when I'm resting, when I'm relaxing, when I'm doing things that society deems as lazy or not enough, I'm actually still worthy and I'm actually being productive because for me, at least I found that in the space to rest, to do nothing, to have no plan, that is when my intuition is sharper. That is when I'm able to show up more for my friends, for my family, for my work. So the productivity trap is really interesting because it's like you're actually more productive with energy and time the more space you allow yourself to have. It's like a totally, total new story that we're telling ourselves. And that is such a theme and I can't wait to dig so deep into that in your life and what you've learned. Now, with all my interviews, I love to firstly, though, go right back to the start and just hear about childhood. What was it like growing up for you? What were you like at school? What did you want to do? Who did you think you were going to be? Oh my gosh, I love this question. I've never been asked it. So really? Thank you. Yeah, no one's never asked me about my childhood. <laughs> I could see your face lighting up. You're like, yes. <laughs> I can talk about this because I feel like, number one, I've never really spoken about it before. And number two, I feel like people might assume things about me that are quite different. I had an awful childhood. And that's, that's not something that, you know, would be expected. I had a really tumultuous upbringing um, and a very toxic home environment. And I love my family and I love my parents and they were doing the best with what they knew and what they had. But between the ages of, I'd say, eight to 18, up until when I moved out of home at 23, I wanted to be anywhere but home. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. And for me, I thrived in a school environment because school for me was my escape from home. And so I was a massive nerd at school. Like I just devoured knowledge. And for me, there is this high achiever aspect to my personality where I have defined my sense of self-worth very much in achievement. So I've been working on unraveling that, like I'm worthy when I'm not achieving. Um, But when I was a child, it was like, if the more awards that I won or the more, you know, 100% marks that I got in my exams, for me, that validated myself and my worth in my existence. Um, but on top of that, I also, you know, I did debating and the musicals and I was like in the touch footy team, the netball team, and I did everything to, to avoid being at home. Mm. Uh, and 
it worked in my favor in a lot of ways because I, you know, taught myself to study and I'm really good at studying. I, I am a quick learner um, and I love to try new things and all of these sorts of things. Um, but then there was this other underlying aspect of growing up where I was always, always treading on eggshells. Um, I was always, uh, I was unsure of what I was going to step into when I was getting home from school. So that has taken a lot of work for me um, to unravel that underlying sense of anxiety and fear that I was carrying for, you know, 10, 20 years of my upbringing. Wow. And how is that? I guess, is it right to say it's like, it's, it's, it's your sense of safety or your sense of security when, you know, when we feel, when we're home, we feel we're supposed to feel safe. We're supposed to feel secure. We're supposed to feel like we're belonging. How have those themes, I guess, if that wasn't very present in your childhood carried through to now, and do you still find it comes up now? Yeah, this is a big piece of the work that I've been doing on myself in the lead up to eventually wanting to become a mother myself and recognising that what I know and the stories that I carry aren't necessarily mine, they're conditions from my upbringing. And so I've been working a lot on repatterning and reprogramming those stories. So for me, I actually have never, well, I hadn't felt a sense of home uh, in terms of that safety and security up until our most recent home, which is where I'm living right now. So the last 18 months, I I was saying to my husband um, a couple of months ago, and it was during uh, lockdown and isolation where I'm like, I'm so grateful that I'm in a space that feels like home because I've never had that before. And, and at a time where, and and it it does concern me that there are um, children and young adults like who would be in situations that I was in and to, to come out the other end and go, oh, I've got a home now and I, I've created that and I do feel safe. Honestly, it's one of my biggest priorities in my life. I want my children to always feel safe. I want them to have that sense of safety at home and, and that sense of unconditional love. And I'm so grateful that I've just managed to call in the most incredible husband who um, we've been together for coming on to 14 years now. Wow. Yeah. And so he's, you know, my one love and I'm just grateful for him because he's, he's been that sense of stability and of safety. And I know we have to find that in ourselves too, but he really has taught me that life can look another way. And so for that, I'm just beyond grateful. Yeah, that is so fascinating, as you're saying, I guess, that what you've learnt, what you learnt from growing up and how you're really actively trying to change that if you decide to have children and, and how... You know, I know you do a lot of work with women and you have worked very closely. What do you see as, as the kind of impact on, on people's lives, their childhood? Like what, what impact does that have on them going forward? Yeah, it's such a good question because we, uh, I was having this conversation with a couple of girlfriends at brunch yesterday, actually, because um, they're not really in this line of work. They don't do much of the personal development stuff. They're open to it, but they're just not deep in the work. And one of them was saying, shit, I've moved back home with my parents. And in, in watching the way that they are relating to one another, I'm realizing that as a child, we think that they're doing everything the right way and that they've got all of the answers. And then the older you get, you realize they're human too, and they've got their flaws and they're just figuring it out. They're just winging it like we are. And I feel like that's the point is acknowledging that your parents are always doing the best they can with what they know at the time. But that doesn't mean it's the best for you. And that's okay. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them bad parents. It's just about us starting to peel away the layers of story and belief and conditioning that is from their childhood Mm. and from their, their parents' childhood. It's like, this ancestral lineage of stories and stuff that we carry just because it's always been that way. And I guess for me, I ask myself the question always, if it's holding me back in some way in my life, can I change it? Why does it have to be that story? Mm -hmm. Um, So my biggest focus on my work for self at the moment and also the work that I do with women is how much of your life is ruled by story that is truly yours, like truly yours, and how much of it is from conditions that you've Mm. been raised to believe to be true. When you're in it, you know, you said just then that, um, at the, you know, when we're growing up, that's all we know and we think that's the only path. When you're in it, did you feel like this doesn't feel quite right or this maybe isn't how it's supposed to be or did it just think this is just probably what everyone is experiencing? I knew growing up that I had um, more of a challenging time than my friends um, because I'd I'd visit my friends' houses and I just assumed, like, from what I saw that things were a little bit different. Uh, I think the the piece for me was that 
do you know what, actually talking this out with you, when I was in high school, even, even 18, even in year 12, I was saying, I'm never getting married. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't believe in love. Like I think it will end in divorce. Like that was literally my belief. So I, I thought that I had a view on the world that was more pragmatic and more realistic because I'd been through shit. I knew stuff. Mm. And then when Trenny stepped in and kind of like changed things for me, it actually took me experiencing life in a different lens to go, oh, it can be different. Mm. So it wasn't that I knew deep down it could look differently. I actually had a lot of doubt about that. But then it took some certain life experiences and other people for me to go, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. Mm. It actually doesn't. And is that, was that, you know, you said you you're very fixated on grades and achieving and studying and doing really well. You then left school, went to uni, followed a corporate <laughs> life, you know, did the two years of working experience at Clio, ticked all these kinds of boxes. I'm sure that was one, just one minuscule thing. Was it important for you at that time of your life, I guess, to follow what you thought society expected of you as a result of where you'd come from? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to prove to firstly myself, I look to my parents' credit, they never, ever said to me, you need to go to uni, get this job, do this job. They were never, and I know a lot of people have that growing up. My dad's a musician. My mum was a model and she's now a teacher. So they're very much creative and whatever you feel drawn to, you Mm. do. So it wasn't from a place outside of myself. It was really from me to be like, go to uni, prove yourself, Mm. get the degree and go and get a journalism job at first. That was what I, what I wanted in inverted commas, because it's what I was good at. And I knew that I would be the best at it. And truly it was like, what can I be the best at? Cause that makes me feel good. Like when I'm the best at something, when I'm really good at something, then I feel deserving. I feel worthy. I get that rush of recognition. And when you grow up in a household where you are, you know, um, you're not getting recognized, you're not getting seen. If, if I can come home and be like, I ace this test or I got into this university degree, like that was my point of reference of love really. Mm -hmm. So it was so deeply embedded in me that when it came time to get a real world job, inverted commas, I took the job in corporate because it's what society expects you do. You get your university degree, you go and work in corporate. I had no idea what I was doing. And I spent five years in a job that, yeah, I was good at. Yeah, look great on paper, very stable income. All of these societal boxes ticked. And I was just getting more depressed, Mm. more unwell physically because the stress was wreaking havoc on my nervous system. And I just kept showing up with a smile on my face because I'd learned how to do that through my childhood. Mm. So I, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is what you do. You just put on a show and you get on with it because that's how most people live, Holly. And I remember telling myself this. It's like, what makes you different, Holly? This is how everyone lives. Get on with it. And that was the case for me for a really long time. Yeah, it did really take its toll on you, this corporate life. What Can you give us a feel of what it was like for you when you were a few years in? Yeah. So yeah. And I love that you said a few years in because the first couple of years, it's like honeymoon period with anything, yes. right? It's and like, look at me. I'm such an adult. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm catching my bus into the city and I was right in the center of Sydney and it was all of those things. Mm. I was wearing my cute dresses, which <laughs> I hated, but pretended that I loved and like, oh my God, all of these things. And a couple of years into it, I remember it was like this, it must have been this slow encroaching knowing that I was unhappy that I just kept putting to the side. Mm. And then I remember breaking down in tears on a Sunday just before stepping into one of my friend's houses and I could not stop crying. I'm like, why am I so sad? And then I walked in and I couldn't pull myself together. And my friends were like, Holly, what's wrong? And I said, I realized I hate my job. (laughs) And I was so sad. I would have been about 23. I was just so unhappy. And I'm like, but I feel so stuck because I didn't know what it was I wanted. I knew it was different to what I was experiencing, which was, you know, long hours, 8am at your desk in the city. I was commuting on a bus, which was like from the Northern beaches in Sydney. It was in peak hour. Like just that alone is stressful on your nervous system. You haven't even started the working day yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like heavy. I look back on it. I'm like, how did I do this? But it was, I was very good at my job because my job was to appease unhappy clients. My job was to make, clients like me and to make them feel good about themselves. So people please the holes was really great at 
the treading on eggshells, the making sure everyone was happy and okay, the wow. putting on the face wow. and the performance. It was everything that I'd trained my entire life to do. You attracted but, straight into your life as your livelihood. It's a, that's incredible. I know. <laughs> it's insane. It's yeah. Like talking it out, I'm like, oh, it just came so naturally to me because it's, it's literally what I, I just comes easily. And um, that's why I was like, convincing myself that it was okay because I was good at my job. It made good money. All of the stories we tell ourselves, but my soul was just so, so not in it. And it, it was taking a toll where if I didn't do something, I, I, I would have ended up, I don't even know. Like it, it scares me to think because I was just so unwell. You developed adrenal fatigue through this time, pretty bad adrenal fatigue and anxiety yeah. and a whole cocktail of other things. Can you talk us through what it was that you were diagnosed with and what that impact was on, I guess, everything, your mind, body, and soul. Yeah. And it was, it was all three of those things. So growing up, I had my first panic attack at the age of five. So I had experience with generalized anxiety disorder from a very young age. It's in my family, it's genetic. So I was used to the odd panic attack and, and feeling more anxious than the norm. I guess when I realized it was an issue is I don't know if you've ever done any of those kind of psychometric tests that they get you to do in corporate where they're like, what's your personality type and all of those things. So I did one of those and um, the woman came back and she's like, you've got a great profile. And I was like, high achiever me was like, yeah, I know, (laughs) please tell me something I don't know. And then she goes, you do worry a lot. And I was like, what? And she's like, it's actually concerning how much you worry. Um, You might want to go and see psychologist about that. And I was like, well, I'm fine. And I went home to my now husband, who's my boyfriend at the time. I'm like, oh, this lady said that I worry a lot. And he's like, yeah, you definitely do. And I was like, but everyone worries. And so the next day I wrote a list of every single worry that I had through the day. And it went for pages and pages wow. and pages wow. and pages. And that was confronting to me. When I see it in front of me, it's like, whoa. Um, so I did, I went to a GP. Um, I was, yeah, I was put on the mental health plan where I had 10, um, psychologist appointments. Um, and I also went and saw my naturopath because I realized that I couldn't make it through the day without literally nodding off to the point where I had convinced myself, bless my naive soul. I was like, I must have narcolepsy or something. Like I'm falling asleep at my desk. I was like, I've got something wrong with me. Like there's something so wrong. And so I went to my naturopath and did all these tests. And she's like, no, you've got like stage four adrenal fatigue. Like your cortisol, I had my cortisol levels were through the roof. I was just purely running off adrenaline. I had no energy in my system. And she's like, Hole, you need to stop training at the gym. I'm like, but I love training. She's like, stop it. You need to stop even going for walks, stop all social outings. You need to nap at work. If you are not able to have a space to nap in the afternoon and you need to leave your job. Like it was this entire wake up call for me to go, whoa, stress has physically manifested to the point where the panic attacks, because I I would have anxiety episodes, but because they weren't extreme panic attacks, I'd dismiss them as just whatever. And she's like, no, Holly, you're having panic attacks at the moment, multiple times a day. Wow. Uh, Yeah, multiple times a day and adrenal fatigue. My gut was totally shot and I developed an autoimmune condition, which I still have. Um, It's called psoriasis. It's where your um, skin cells kind of attack one another. And my entire back of my neck is, it's been... Mm seven years. I, I just won't get rid of it. And it was totally um, brought on by this entire nervous system breakdown that I experienced. Yeah. And how unwell would you get physically? Were there times you were just completely wiped out, you know, come the weekend, yeah. say when you could finally switch off? Yeah, it was really bad. It's almost like when I got a label with it, it gave me permission to fully feel into it. And mm. within three months of my diagnosis, I'd taken more sick days from work than the four years prior. It was constant. I was constantly unwell. And rather than pushing through, I just allowed myself to feel unwell. It got to the point where I, I like our lounge room and our bedroom were attached. And some nights I could not get up off the lounge physically. My, my husband would have to carry me into bed. And people, if they haven't experienced an adrenal fatigue or a chronic fatigue, they, they, it's really hard to comprehend. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I'm tired too. It's like, no, no, no. This is yeah. like a physical manifestation in your limbs where they are so heavy that you cannot move them. And you could have 10, 12 hours of uninterrupted sleep yeah. and wake up and feel like you've been hit by a bus. Like, 
And, and then that in itself caused, like, I just cried all the time for like a year. I was like, I, 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 my body, what, what's happening to me? And I loved to train and I loved feeling active and I, I couldn't even go for walks without just crumbling. There was a, there's a moment I remember clearly I'd gotten myself out of bed to go to work, parked my car at the bus stop, got out of the car and collapsed onto this random stranger's front lawn and I couldn't get up. And I was like messaging my boss being like, I can't come in because I'm lying on this random's front lawn. Um, it, it got really, really bad. Were they patient with you? Was your work good with like understanding? Yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful that my work was understanding. My boss at the time had experienced his own um, bouts of adrenal fatigue. So really I had so many sick days on my sleeve. Um, I did some work from home and, and he also let me have naps in the afternoon to get through the day because I I couldn't function otherwise. Um, yeah, but, but still, it's so interesting looking back because you hear that and it sounds really terrible and traumatic and, okay, so the next natural thing would be to leave your job, but I didn't. I was yeah. still too scared to leave because I had no idea what else I could do. I was so stuck. You mentioned, you know, yeah, you said there would have been so many moments that so many people would have gone, well, that's when you leave your job or, you know, you're getting out of the bus and collapsing into that lawn. To me, I would think, oh, okay, that must have been the tipping point that you thought, all right, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but, you you know, but when you're in it, you just keep going because this is what I know to do. When did that tipping point finally beca- finally come and what was it? So it's a really interesting story. I was sitting with it toward the tail end of 2015 and I was like, Holly, You've, you've got to do something differently. It's, it's just a cop out that you're, you're putting up with this now. And I, I, it's a beautiful Elizabeth Gilbert quote, which is she's never seen a powerful transformation happen in somebody's life without that person in question first getting sick and tired of their own bullshit. Mm, yes. And I was sitting with my bullshit in that moment. I'm going, you're shitting on yourself. Like, why are you doing this? And so I started to take myself off to these women's circles and women's events. And every week I felt more lit up and more inspired. And I was like, yes, there are women that are feeling like me. And like my friend, Melissa, who was running the circles, she was making me feel really seen. And then I was sitting there one night and I'm like, I could do this. I'm like, I'm a good talker. I'm a good communicator. I like believe in all of this stuff. I could do this. And so I started researching coaching courses, wellness coaching courses, and I found one and it was in, I think it must've been November. And at this point it was about September, October. And I enrolled into it and I told myself, I'm not going to tell anyone at work that I'm doing this course. It was over a weekend, but if at the end of the course, I really, really like it, I'll leave my job. So I had enrolled into the course, had paid the most money I've ever paid on anything like on my own. And it was coming up, coming closer. And the course was on the weekend coming on the Monday. My boss sat me down and said, we have to let you go. I was made redundant. (laughs) You didn't even get to leave. (laughs) Universe was like, you're full of shit, Holly. We're doing this for you go out on your own and you've got to make this work. And that was my first, like, gives me goosebumps talking about it. Like that was my first real experience of universe intervention or God intervention, whatever you believe, where it's like, oh, okay, I made this promise and now I have to go. And look, I was employable. They just, they, they couldn't have me on for whatever reason. They were getting me great references. Um, and I could have gone and, and gotten another job in the industry, but I'm like, no, Holly, this is mm. your time. So I got a job in retail. Um, I actually received a message from a girlfriend that same day. It all happened on this random Monday where she's like, hey, babe, don't know if you want some extra like retail shifts, but we're looking for someone. And I hadn't worked retail in about six years. And I was like, yes, I do. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm unemployed. I'm, I've literally lost my job just now. Um, went back into retail and did this coaching course on that weekend. <laughs> that is amazing. That gave me goosebumps, that story as well. I love those just so... <laughs> I, I, I like to say one of my guides is called Captain Obvious. And he, this guide, <laughs> he, it, I, I think it's a man because I feel like men are very obvious. He just totally. makes things so obvious when I'm like, I wonder if I should do this or is this what's meant to me? And then it like it'll just be the most obvious sign will land in my lap. And it just sounds like your (laughs) Captain Obvious was like, 
we're going to make this very simple for you. You're going to get fired. I'm not get fired. You're going to get made redundant. And then you're going to go and do this course. Like I love that captain obvious. Sometimes you just need it very simple. I don't want it ambiguous. And I need a captain obvious a lot of the time. So there was literally no question with that. I was like, all right, here we go. I've got to just make this work now. Thank you. Captain obvious. Yes. Thank you. Captain obvious. Now, if you'd gone, you know, I'm sure there would have been a lot of the inner dialogue would have been saying, you know, this is scary. Go back to what you know, go back. Yeah. And if you'd done that, if you'd followed that and just gone back to what you know, stable income at another job somewhere, what kind of Holly would I be talking to right now? You wouldn't be talking to me. I wouldn't be on a podcast. I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the light in my voice that you're hearing. I, I remember at one point, um, and this is when I must have been 24 or 25, thinking, oh, I'll just have kids because I, I would just do that now instead because that will give me more meaning than the job that I'm doing in the world. And it was just this like that. It wasn't that I was like fully in it. It was like, oh, that's, that's just my option right now. Like that's all that I've got. I can keep going this corporate path or I can become a mom. And neither of them had my full heart in it at that time. So uh, you could have been, I don't know who you would be talking to right now, but it would not be me if you were talking to me at all. At yeah. all, yeah. You then decided to, uh, you know, you went out on a limb and got a, you started speaking to a woman about her career and her, about her ambitions and trying to, like, I guess, life coach her through her life. Yeah. How scary yeah. was that? Your first ever oh. client. And were you just like, I don't think I can do this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I remember that day so clearly. So I was also, I was doing four jobs at the time. So it was retail, freelance writing, promotional modeling. And then I started my coaching course. And I think a lot of people forget this. It's like you work really hard when you're starting things out. And um, I'd just done a promotional promotional modeling gig at the cricket that morning and then I got home and I was so tired and I was like Trent can you take me to her name's Gabby she's great she she's wonderful she's still a client and close friend today can you take me to Gabby's house I'm gonna do my first session and like Trent drove me to Gabby's and we sat on her bed and I asked her um and I charged her 50 bucks cash and I asked her (laughs) if, if you could do anything in the world right now and money wasn't and an issue what would you do and she said I'd do photography and at this point she was in a corporate job and then we just had a chat about how she could start it out anyway now four years later maybe coming on to five years later she is a really successful photographer like 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 incredible left a corporate job just does photography has a photography course online like she's just blossomed and that's like my first client success story and my first ever client where I felt I remember finishing it and Trent picking me up and me driving home and like being so filled up and inspired and being like, I get to do this. Like I get to have inspiring conversations with women and help them realize how amazing they are. Like Mm. that, it doesn't even feel like work to me. And, And from that first session, it didn't feel like work. It just felt like, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. Um, I'm really curious. Sorry to interrupt you there. I'm really curious about that feeling that you felt afterwards that, like it's that feeling of tapping into that higher self flow state. Like how how did you, did you just feel alive? And I'm sure it felt like the polar opposite of when you're collapsing in someone's lawn on the way to work. This is it. That was the moment where I was like so energized. I was just flooded with adrenaline, but like good adrenaline, just like I could just keep going with this because my heart was open and I was so aligned. And I mean, what I know about energetics now, I didn't know back then, but when you are aligning energetically, that's when opportunity lands. That's when you feel more inspired. That's when you jump out of bed in the morning. And it's like, I just got this new lease on life through that one moment. And then they kept coming and coming and building from there where I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't have to feel like a slog. It doesn't have to feel hard. And and don't get me wrong. You have your moments, you have your clients, you have your days, but that first like surge of, I guess it was inspired energy Mm. was like, oh, I like this. I want my life to feel like this. Yeah. And then how did it grow from then? Like, you know, did you get start, you said you got some more clients and what kind of stuff would you do with them? And then like, how quickly then did it evolve to doing that as your livelihood? So many questions. (laughs) I know. I know. It's so wild. I love doing this recap. It's so nice and nostalgic. (laughs) Um, So for me, I really built quite quickly through word of mouth, 
um, and also my Facebook profile. So at the time when I started on, um, started doing this five years ago, Instagram wasn't a thing. I had like 300 followers or something. So it wasn't like I had an engaged community, but I started to show up on Instagram with my teachings and I started a newsletter list, which had like 30 of my family and friends on it. And I was really doing everything that I'd learned in my corporate role to build a business. Mm -hmm. Thank you universe. It was like an MBA because it was like, okay, I know that I need to be churning out content, engaging people, building a community, building a group of people. And so it was quite a natural evolution looking back. Um, I like started to do one-on-one sessions. I think I was seeing one point, maybe 10 clients a week. And that was when I was like, I can leave my jewelry shop now. Like I I can leave this. And I actually felt like I needed to leave it in order to create space for whatever Mm -hmm. was next to land. It was too much to juggle between both worlds. I mean, there was a time where I was standing behind a counter on quiet days, writing blog posts for my newsletter. It was just whatever I could do to get, um, get awareness out. And what ended up starting to happen is my Instagram started to just organically grow. More and more people were finding my work through some articles that I shared on Mamma Mia. And it really took this turn around um, body image and focusing mm-hmm. on body love. So a lot of women that I attracted in the initial stages of coaching was very much focused on stress and anxiety and body image. And I realized that people weren't coming to me for any other reason than they saw themselves in me and they could relate to my story. And they were like, I, I'm there help me. Like, how do I get to where I want to be? And so through those sessions of empowering them, they then share that with their friends, it just blew up. Um, and it got to the point where I got to go out on my own and just, and just coach. And at the time it was like, Oh my God, this just naturally happened. I didn't even need to force it. And that for me was like, Oh, this is where I need to be. You you got to a point where you had waiting lists and people. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I know it's like insane. I had, I, I couldn't take on any more clients. Um, I had, and I still do today. Like I'm so grateful. My sessions just book out. They just, and they, and I, I'm not saying that to brag. It's just like mm. when you are in your flow state, when you are doing what you're supposed to do for me, at least with my experience, it's been yes, hard work. And also a lot of just beautiful serendipity and support. Um, so I feel very grateful, but I mean, it's my business. I am one and I have a lot of people that kind of say, thank you for showing up in this way in that I constantly pivot and change. Mm -hmm. So if something starts to feel stale in my business, I don't sit with the stale. I'll, I'll shift my entire business. Mm -hmm. So I was initially as a coach one-on-one and then that, started to feel stale and I felt myself drawn to pulling cards in sessions and it started to take this more spiritual turn and I went and did some courses went up to Byron and did a five-day intuitive reading intensive and did another like I'm still doing this four-year intensive like essential practices for light work because I felt interested in it and that felt like what was coming next and so when I made the call to just jump from coaching into readings that felt illogical. It was like, Holly, you have wait lists for your coaching clients. You have like all of this. Why would you be throwing that away? But I trusted in the inner knowing of, no, I need to pivot right now. And I'm so glad I did because now that brings me life and that makes me happy. And that makes me feel inspired. And I've built an online program from that, which is like, oh my God, my favorite thing in the world is running this program. And I had to pivot to, to discover these new elements of my business Mm. and and, and now it's taking form in like speaking and podcasting mm. and, and all of these other things that were never part of the plan when I was sitting on Gabby's bed five years ago for my $50 coaching session with her. But I feel like when you surrender to where you're being guided rather than resisting it and just allowing it to unfold, God, God, are you supported? Like, oh my God, mm. like in my experience, at least it's been really rewarding. Totally. You mentioned your very first client, Gabby, who now is just killing it as a photographer. Are there any other moments or clients that really stand out to you that you think and you reflect now and think, gee, I had a really tangible, incredible impact on that person's life and, you know, it made yeah. it feel so meaningful? Yeah, always. I, I love my clients so much, like so, like so much <laughs> and watching them there, there are many of them that I've worked alongside for years and years and years. Like we become family and there, there are countless examples of women who have 
uh, really le- like left jobs that were very similar to my stories and started passion projects and businesses that are really leaving marks and that like marks on the world is just like unbelievable work in all sorts of things, holistic well-being, but not even that like creative outlets and all sorts of things like modeling. Like it, it just, it's so inspiring. I've had women leave very dissatisfying relationships. I'm talking marriages where they felt like they've had no escape and then fallen in love with their soulmate and called in something that they're worthy of rather than playing small. Like it's just, I'm my clients are my biggest source of inspiration for me because I look at them in the way that they show up and are changing and it inspires me to keep going too. Um, God, the list is endless. I don't even have a specific example to share without giving away identities, but <laughs> ju- they're all, they're just all doing incredible things. And when I see my inbox light up on um, my emails or my DMs on Insta, even from people who are part of the community and I not necessarily worked one-on-one with them, but they'll say, I received a message yesterday, which was something along the lines of because of the way that you show up in your body and the way that you show up with confidence, it makes me feel like I can do that too. And that, that is enough for me. Like that, that is like, that's why I do this work. Mm -hmm. And that fills me up so much. Um, So yeah, I feel very, very grateful for that. What's your relationship been like with body image and body love? It's been a really interesting one. So when I had my breakdown, um, I was the fittest, hashtag, um, weighed less than I had in ages, thigh gap, abs, you name it. I don't share the photo of me at that time anymore, but I used to. Um, And I I had actually signed up to a 12-week body transformation program um, when I was really unhappy with my job because as women we do this. We go, well, I'm unhappy, so if I lose weight, I'll feel better. If I get the thigh gap in the abs, then I'll be happy with myself. And so I did that. I lost the weight. I looked hashtag Insta fit, whatever you want to call it, Fitzbo. Um, And my health was suffering, mental health, soul health, physical health. And I really was at this place where I was like, hang on a second, everything out there is telling me that the healthy gals look like this, but I look like that and I am so unhealthy, like so unwell. And that's when I actually had to stop training because my body couldn't do it anymore and I put on a lot of weight quite quickly because I was so, so unhealthy in that point. I was weighing everything I ate. It wasn't great. And then I put on weight quite quickly. Me and my husband went on a two-month trip around Europe. We got engaged. I was not thinking about my weight. I was having the best time. I was just like eating whatever I wanted and swimming and whatever. And I I hadn't weighed myself in a couple of years and got on the scales. And I'm like, oh, this is the heaviest I've ever been. And I went, I'm also the happiest. Like I'm, I'm sweet. Like, and that was a wake up call for me too. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, my state of mind, my well-being, actually right now in this moment has little to do with what I physically look like. And that was mind blowing for me at that point. That said, I'm a woman in 2020 where body image is rife. It doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. You could be aesthetically pleasing to mainstream eye or not. We carry shame associated with our bodies. It's the nature of the, the society that we live in from little, little girls. We are told again, stories that aren't ours about our physical bodies and shame is the lowest vibrational energy that we can carry. So it's not just going to take a couple of moments for you to shift that shame, you know? So when I got the call from my guides to start modeling, I was like, you're kidding. Like, (laughs) no, 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 it's fine. I'm not going to do that. And I sat on it for about 10 months. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. And anyway, it ended up happening. And for me, that experience has been, number one, super inspiring and I just love it so much. But number two, some of the biggest work on personal development that I've had to do in showing up and literally being chosen for work based on how you physically look or not. It's like, oh, you think you've done your body image work, Holly? Here we go. Let's take it up a notch. Let's go like next level. So I have my days. But what I realise is I come back to the gratitude for, it sounds so simple, but I have a body Mm. without my body. I can't have the life experience that I'm having right now. Like I literally would not be here. So thank you body for that. And 
I celebrate the parts of myself that I really love and know that I'm not going to have, I'm going to have days where I'm not feeling myself and that's okay. Like welcome to being human. You don't have to wake up every day looking at yourself in the mirror going, I love you so much. You're so beautiful. (laughs) It's just, I feel like that's just a pipe dream. But I mean, if someone does it, please let me know, like tell me a secret. But it's these remnants of shame that we carry that like, that's what we've got to look at. It's the deep soul work. And I will continue to work on that because I know my body is going to change as I grow and as I become a mother and, and all of these things. And I want to, I want to love her as best I can in all of her seasons and colors. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks. Now you're also a motivational speaker and it's, you know, which is probably surprising. No one listening to this, that you're a motivational <laughs> speaker listening to, listening to the last 40 or so minutes of this podcast. What's the message that you try to get out to women? Oh, such a good question. <clears throat> Do you know what's interesting is I never plan my talks. So like for this podcast, for instance, it wasn't like I was like, oh, what, what are the general themes? I just don't plan. I show up in the moment and I trust that whatever drops in is going to come. Because for me, when I speak, it's a very channeled experience. It's very mm-hmm. much I'm in flow. I feel into the energy in the room and then I speak. So that for me is, it's not really one specific message that said, there's definitely a through line and that is around owning worth and really acknowledging how deserving women are of living lives beyond their wildest dreams. You do not have to play small. You do not have to be quiet. You can live a big life and, and really being center stage in your life, not playing in the sidelines. Like, especially now the world that we're in, women need to rise. We really need the voice of women. We need female leaders. We need this beautiful feminine energy to step forefront. And that takes, that needs more and more women to actually own what they deserve. So I guess that's the main piece for me is helping women unpick what it is that's holding them back from making them step into their fullest potential. And that's my, exactly my next question. What is the biggest thing holding women back? <laughs> It's so funny. It's literally what you were just Such alluding to. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I channel, babe. It's just like, what? Totally. <laughs> um, self-doubt. Why me? I'm not good enough. What will people think of me? Mm. Fear of judgment. All of those little niggling questions. It's the voice of self-doubt. And the voice of self-doubt is seeped in, I'm not good enough. What makes me better than them? Or what makes me special? And trust me, I know, I mean, going from my upbringing, like I I get it. I totally get it. But again, those stories aren't ours. When we're born into the world, we are born of love and we are just love, pure love. Mm -hmm. And then we get conditioned and imprinted, conditioned and imprinted. So for me, it's like, if, if I can have any woman that's listening to this, if I can say like, catch yourself in those thoughts and actually recognize that you are not your thoughts and you can unravel those because when you unravel those, then you live more from love. And when you live from love, you're living from intuition and you can't be led astray. And that's the gift. So yeah, the self-doubt piece is the biggest piece. Once we can unravel those stories, that's when, that's when shit happens. That's when the magic changes. Yeah. What can listeners do if they're listening to what you're saying and they're resonating with this and they're not feeling like they're in alignment, they're living a life that they think society is expecting of them as a mum or a friend or a wife or, um, you know, a girlfriend, what can they do if they do want to start, you know, from scratch working on being the best version of themselves? Beautiful question. So let's start really, really simple and easy. And when I leave um, tidbits here, it's always because the biggest objectives I get with clients is I can't afford it and I don't have time. Mm -hmm. So the things I'm going to leave now are they're free and they're very quick and easy. So what we want to start with is we want to start in rewiring your neural pathways. And the neural pathways are the pathways in your mind that send off neurotransmitters that determine how you feel. So we want your mind, you want to train your mind to start feeling differently. Because when you can show up and start actually feeling worthy, feeling deserving, feeling inspired, then you're going to take action from that place. So how do you change that? Well, our brain is malleable. It's like plastic, right? We can melt it. We can change it. We can move it. What we want to do to that, the easiest way to do that is actually practicing gratitude, would you believe? 
A daily gratitude practice rewires your neural pathways over time to look for more things that you are grateful for. There's always going to be obstacle just as likely as opportunity. But if we are constantly looking at obstacle, we're going to see more of it. It's a reticular activator system in our mind's eye, right? I say, don't think of a red car. You think of a red car. So we want to start to train your mind. So it's in the habit of looking for the good. It's in the habit of being grateful. The other thing, and this is what I, this is literally what the thing that I did when I was rock bottom was you cannot actually be anxious and grateful at the same time. Your brain isn't wired that way. It's impossible to. So the way that good gratitude practice works is cumulatively over time, it builds into this strength and resilience. So an anxious thought might drop in, but gratitude goes and pushes it out. So it's really simple. Three things every day that you are grateful for written down or spoken aloud. If you're a parent sharing it with your children, getting them to start to train their brains young and it can be the most simple things. In fact, make them different every day, make them really, really simple. I'm grateful for the beautiful sunshine that's hitting my windowsill right now, or I'm grateful for this beautiful conversation we've had this morning and really feeling that energy. Um, At least three more is better, but if you can do that and show up for that in every moment and every day, over time, your mind, you don't even realize what you're doing, but you are Mm. strengthening and creating this new energetic blueprint in your mind. And from there, the game changes. Love that. Love that. Love that. It's just so, so true. Where do people, where do you grow from there? Like, as you said, like that's this, that's the found, if you're building a house, that's the foundation is gratitude. And then do you just like, I guess, would it be great to, you know, engage with a coach and try and just grow yes. your dreams and joy? Yes. This is it. It's not doing it on your own. You do not have to do it on your own. So I'm, I'm such an advocate for obviously working with coaches in my own life. I'm very, very big on the energetic work because a lot of the time, I mean, 95% of our mind is subconscious, right? So we can only work on the 5% we're aware of. But if we're repeating thought patterns, behaviors, and energetic blueprints that we're not aware of, how are we going to tap into that unless we are working in some kind of energetic capacity? So I'm big on kinesiology. I'm big on Reiki. I'm big on energetic work where people are able to actually unlock beliefs from your energetic imprints, Mm -hmm. not just the mind. Super important. So enlisting the help of, I almost call them like my spiritual support team or my personal development support team so that you are looking at your mind, your body and your soul and unpicking those limiting beliefs and then integrating them into your body because I see this a lot. Lots of people listen to the podcast and they read the right books, right? And they're like, yeah, I've read Surrender Experiment. Yeah, I've read whatever Eckhart Tolle writes, to be honest, I don't read lots of the non, uh, yeah, the nonfiction books at the moment because fiction makes me feel better. Um, And it's like feeling into what makes, makes you actually feel good. And also how are you integrating the lessons you're learning before you then go and listen to the next podcast or go and read the next book, like put all that to the side for a second and actually show up as the version of you that you know is there. Start to have conversations with people that, leave you feeling a way you want to feel. And in fact, get crystal clear on the feelings you want to feel each day, because the law of attraction is if you are resonating in an energetic frequency of feeling, you're going to attract more of those experiences in. So do you want to feel inspired every day? Great. Talk to people who inspire you. Watch things on TV that leave you feeling inspired. Go through your Instagram feed and delete any page that doesn't leave you feeling inspired. And it's literally that simple. You could do that with any feeling that you want to call in. Um, But it does. It starts with you Mm. and actually showing up for you and then enlisting others to help you on your journey. Mm. Speaking of a feeling that, you you know, people want to feel and channel, and I think not enough people speak about joy. How do you, how do you call in joy? How do you generate joy in your life and what makes you feel joyful? Beautiful. Joy is one of the highest vibes that we can possibly emulate. Like joy is higher than uh, happiness. Joy is higher than love. I think like joy is really up there. Uh, For me, it's very much around firstly, the conversations that I'm having with people and who I'm choosing to engage with who, and that doesn't mean just one-on-one conversations like you and I right now, but also the content that I'm consuming online. Like, is that leaving me feeling joyous? And if it's not, I'm just not interested. Like my feed leaves me feeling really inspired and joyful, but more than that is time in nature is huge for me, Uh, especially time in sunshine and light. I just love warmth and it's actually really warm day in Sydney today. I'm so excited. I'm like, okay, great. Um, Nature, animals, 
Uh, so my two dogs are just like the biggest source of joy in my life. And I know a lot of mamas like their children, it's the same. And actually, in fact, me spending time with my friends' children, children are pure joy bundled up. Um, so that's another one. Music. Music is an incredible state change. I have my own high vibes playlist that I pump when I need to like create state change in my body. I'll just be like, want to feel joyous? I'm going to put on my high vibes playlist. Um, and for me also getting my body moving in some way. And now it's much more gentle than it used to be. So it's Pilates and it's like beautiful coastal walks. And they're the things that leave me with joy. Also ritual. I love my journaling, meditation, cacao, and doing things that really are the introspective pieces of me. Actually, I feel like they're the number one. My rituals really leave me feeling grounded, but also full of joy. Mm, I love that. And that, that flows so effortlessly into my next question then. What's your self-care list look like? I feel like you ticked a few of them off then. Yeah. What, yeah what do you, what's your self-care list look like? And if you're feeling flat, what do you do to get yourself back up? It's so interesting, isn't it? Because self-care and joy do go hand in hand. Mm. If you're not feeling joyful after your self-care, question what you're doing. Um, so for me, self-care is meditation. I know that my brain is much sharper and my nervous system is more relaxed when I meditate in the morning and in the afternoon. And don't get me wrong, I have my moments. Like I'll have periods where I go without for weeks and weeks and then I'm like, oh, got to jump back on that bandwagon. So meditation, absolutely um, journaling. I'm such a writer and I just process through the written word. And for me, when I feel something heavy or stuck and I'm like, oh, I just need to shake this. I write out what I'm feeling first because, or I'll even speak it out to, to a friend just to get it off and out mm. because often we suppress and then it becomes heavier and we carry it and it builds up and it's just not great. So they're two of the biggies. Um, lots of rest, lots of space. Um, my human design, which is a whole other conversation, but it's definitely worth looking into. It's like your energetic blueprint, but my human design is that of a projector and projectors get energetically depleted very easily. And so rest is actually necessary. Like it's a necessary for me every day. Sleep is huge for me. I'm like a, I'm big on sleeping until I need to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I'm huge on the naps. My husband doesn't understand it. He's like, how do you nap? And I'm like, I just, it's what my, my system needs. So sleep, rest, and that sort of downtime is huge for me. Um, and also finding ways that feel really nourishing for my body. So eating foods that I know agree with me and don't leave me feeling inflamed and heavy. And I'm coming off the back of a weekend where I had lots of socializing and I haven't been drinking for a few months and I had a couple of drinks and which is so fine. Like I'm all for it. Um, but it's so interesting waking up today going, I feel a little bit off mm. and it's cause I wasn't fully nourishing myself. And it's not being hard on yourself in letting the self-care practices slip. I think that's the other thing. It's acknowledging we're going to have those days, weeks, months, but it's whatever you want to get back on the bandwagon, get back on. And it's not gone anywhere. You've not forgotten it. It's just, you know, you have those moments as well. Totally. Yeah. And for my second last question, what are the top three things you think your whole life experience has taught you? Oh, <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> Yeah. I, I want to say that uh, the first piece around is around your intuition. And when you really are listening to your intuition and following it, you will never be led astray ever. Even when it feels like you are just that, that piece on trust is huge. Actually, let's like lead that into the next piece, which is trust and surrender. Mm. So there's mm. much in life we'd like to control, but we can't. So how can you really embody that trust and, and disconnect from needing to control and allow yourself to surrender to whatever will be, will be. And the third piece is the meaning of life for me or your purpose, because I always get that. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? And for me, at least I feel like your purpose in life is love. It's to be the most love filled version of yourself. It's to do things in your life from a place of love, from a heart space, and, and that's it. And that can look whatever way it wants to for you. But my, my big um, mantra that I come back to always is what would love do in this moment, in this point of resistance, in this crossroads, what would love do? And then act accordingly. Oh, love that. Now for my final question. What advice would the Holly now give the Holly in her darkest, worst moments where you just felt everything just felt a bit too much? What advice would you give her? I'd tell her that it gets better. 
and that she's never dealt anything that she can't handle. Um, and I'd remind her that she's not alone, that there are people always that are just a message away or just a call away. Um, and I'd tell her that she's so loved and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what her life looks like to other people. So long as she feels good, do that. And, and the people who love you will stand by you. And that's all that matters. Beautiful. What a beautiful note to finish on. Thank you so much, Holly. I loved every minute. I'm just full. I'm just bursting right now with <laughs> joy. <laughs> I loved it Yay, so much. So yeah, there's so much you said that it's just helped me through. I feel like I'm in a bit of sticky period right now. Lockdown doesn't help, but just in other things. So, oh. so much of what you said is cut through for me. So I can imagine everyone listening will feel the same too. Oh, you're wonderful. And thank you for such a beautiful interview. It's so nice to share my story oh, like this. So thank God. you for having me. No problem at all. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can meet in real life one day. You know, I, oh, we kind of I did it, Cleo, but we just don't remember. But anyway. We just need to have a reunion, that's all. <laughs> yeah, we just need to have a Cleo intern reunion. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, beautiful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lemonade. I'll pop all the links to Holly's Instagram and her website in the show notes. As always, you can connect with me at Elizabeth Neal. If you're loving this content, I'd be so appreciative if you could leave a review, hit five stars and subscribe, and perhaps even share this interview on your social media. Stay well and chat next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.